Good morning. We'll be in Genesis 31 uh, for our time together in God's Word. Uh, I'm going to jump a few chapters. I believe we were in 28 last week, if I'm not mistaken. I've uh, taught a lot of lessons since then. I was uh, at retreat with uh, my home congregation growing up, or one of my home congregations growing up all weekend and speaking out of the book of Mark. And that's been just... That was a phenomenal study for me. I I don't know that anybody else got anything out of it, but I certainly did. um, Hope to preach those lessons at some point here. A lot to reveal there uh, about John Mark and his gospel. But it's good to be back with you next week. uh, You know, I just am am constantly amazed about people who are gluttons for punishment. I think that some of you folks are. Uh, At least you encourage me, anyways. And I'll actually be back at their homecoming next Sunday. Uh, preaching uh, in the morning and the afternoon for them. Uh, But this morning in Genesis 31, it's tempting for me to jump ahead to the next chapter and talk a little bit about wrestling with God. Uh, But we do have a couple of moments in chapter 31 where God speaks uh, to several people, one of those being Jacob and one of those being Laban himself. He basically shows up and says, hey, you got to leave him alone. You need to leave him alone. Uh, which is which is kind of cool in itself. But we look at verse 1, and it says, But Jacob soon learned that Laban's sons were grumbling about him. Jacob has robbed our father of everything, they said. He has gained all his wealth at our father's expense. And Jacob began to notice, verse 2, a change in Laban's attitude toward him. And as I mentioned last week, a lot of times we reference Jacob stealing Esau's birthright and how I don't really like that terminology because technically from Scripture we know that it is Jacob's birthright. God said it's going to be his. Now we may not like how he came across uh, getting that and we may have issues with that, but it's technically his to begin with. And so once again, if you look back over chapter 29, 30 and leading into 31, you see that God kind of steps back and goes, okay, I know how this is going to work, but you guys can strategize. He, he lets them, and in some ways, hey, they do it. You may look at it and go, that's underhanded. Uh, we know now that Jacob kind of gets it honest, right? Because uh, Laban is, uh, is kinfolk, and obviously we saw where mom played a part in Jacob getting what he wanted. And so it's kind of fair play if you look at it from that aspect. You know, he's just doing what everybody else is doing. Now, that's not an acceptable excuse, but we know where he gets it and where it comes from. So it's kind of like knowing your enemy to some degree. I don't think that they're enemies just yet. But uh, if you'll look at those chapters, it's really God who has given it to him. And so there are times that we may, I mean, this is the natural default to be envious rather than emulate Right? It's a lot easier to sit back and go, well, I don't like them because they have so much success and da-da-da-da. We've seen how the Jews have been treated throughout history because of that. A lot of anti-Semitism is, is jealousy. It's envy that they have what we want. And so the best way in some ways to get what we want is to get them out of the way. Uh, we see it today, right? One of the major issues with the Jewish state is because they are very successful. There's really no reason for them to be as successful as they are. They have a lot of things working against them. And I won't get into politics. I've obviously shared my opinion before about I don't think if 
If Jesus is coming back to reign a thousand years, I don't think he needs our jets and our money and our tanks or any of that. If that's what we're in for, you know, politics do their own thing. But uh, if we're, we're doing all that to present and protect Jesus coming back and reigning for a thousand years, uh, I don't think that he needs those things. Uh, the allies that we choose are the allies we choose, and there are very different reasons for that. Uh, but Jesus does not need our help. Uh, to come back and, and push people around if that's what he wants to do. He is the line of Judah, and I believe that line is what's going to return when he comes back. It will no longer be the Lamb of God, although it will be, but it won't be in that vein. And so there's a lot of leeway given here. And there's an old adage for lawyers, if you have the law on your side, argue the law. If you have the facts on your side, argue the facts. If you have neither, pound the table, right? Uh, you know, and make it really emotional and fired up. And uh, that's what we kind of see Laban's sons do here. Uh, He's stolen everything, you know. Uh, And and there's a very different thing from gaining and working and gaining those things and stealing them outright. And uh, I think they're just upset that they got beat at their own game. And I can attest that that hurts worse. You know, I've been there. when they give you your, a dose of your own medicine. So we look at verse 3 and 13, and we see where God speaks uh, to Jacob. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your father and grandfather and your relatives there, and I will be with you. And at this point, uh, it's no longer a prove it, God. It is he's done it, right? And, and that tends to perk our ear a little more. When we've seen it in our lives, we're more attuned. You know, it's, I don't think that we should have to have that taste, but God also understands that sometimes we do. That's a human tendency. I, I believe when I see. And I think that that's why you see later in the Gospels that Jesus is just so blown away by non-Jews who come to him and depend on him. You know, you look at the centurion. Oh, I know how this works. You don't have to go anywhere. You just say it and it happens. And Jesus remarks, I don't see this faith. The Seraphonician woman, right? You know, well, I should, I'm, I'm here to serve the Israelites, the Jews. Well, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the table. Oh, go, your, your daughter's healed. It's very impressive. And so we see that, but that's not what we see from a lot of these patriarch heroes that we, we call them from time to time. There's a prove it and then I'll be on board. And here we see, you know, God making a reference. I've done this for your grandfather and your father, and now here I am doing it for you. I will be with you. And so what do we see? We then see Jacob gives God credit. Verse 5 of the same chapter, he said to them, I have noticed that your father's attitude toward me has changed. He's talking to his wives. But the God of my father has been with me, right? And then we go to verse 7. Uh, But he has cheated me, talking about the Father, changing my wages ten times, but God has not allowed him to do me any harm. Verse 13, I am the God who appeared to you at Bethel. He's 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 stating what God has said to him. The place where you anointed the pillar of stone and made your vow to me, now get ready, leave this country, and return to the land of your birth. And so he gives God credit. And there we see another change in attitude. Uh, You know, when I was single, I didn't think it was really fair that a lot of times... When trying out for a minister position, that was kind of a knock, right? Well, he's not married, uh, or he doesn't have kids, you know. And even in, in being a deacon and being an elder, that those are requirements to have children. Uh, but those things mature you, 
right? Now, in a lot of ways, I'm still just as immature as I was, but I have this person in my house (laughs) who drags me along sometimes to maturity. Now, that's not exactly how that works. And so even that is working in Jacob's favor, right? It's not that they're perfect. We'll see in just a moment that those same people that sometimes drag us along can be the ones who kind of hold us up and keep us from really, you know, meeting where we want to meet. You know, it makes it difficult. I think that's one reason why Paul says, hey, if you can go without being married, don't be married. We want you to be in complete and utter devotion to God. That's not a rule from God. He's just saying, hey, that's a pretty good place to be because you can just get up and go when you need to go. I'm not living in that situation anymore, right? Uh, There are people involved. There are other aspects that have to be involved. So it's that balance that you find. And so he convinces them in verses 14 through 16. So we pick up there. Rachel and Leah responded, that's fine with us. We won't inherit any of our father's wealth anyway. He's reduced our rights to those of foreign women. And after he sold us, he wasted the money you paid for him. If you're familiar with the story, uh, their dad doesn't treat them very well either, right? They're, they're kind of pawns in this game that he plays, which I'm sure didn't buy him any favor in their sight. Uh, and so, you know, he's kind of worked it. It, it. They understand that both sides are working this to their advantage. And uh, so they kind of have this different perspective than the brothers do. That typically is the way that works, right? And they have a different perspective from their dad, and they have a different perspective from Jacob. And so I like this back and forth here. There is input. You know, we sometimes picture the Old Testament as the men show up, this is how it's going to be, and this is how it is. But we see some input here. We see a relationship there that there is care on Jacob's half, right? We, we know that if you go back in the story, he sees one, he's instantly falls in love with her. And at first sight is what we gather. And obviously love grows. And I think we need to give them the benefit of that. That's the thing I've learned probably over the last year is these folks are all changing just like we are. You know, people who read Paul's work here and go, oh, he doesn't say that over here. And we immediately go, it must be someone else who wrote it. And it's like, well, these are years apart. His journey in Christ is continuing. And so hopefully we're all a little different than when we first started out. So then we jump down to verse 19 and we go, oh, they believe in God. But, verse 19, at the time they left, Laban was some distance away shearing his sheep. Rachel stole her father's household idols and took them with her. And I've read a couple of different things trying to kind of make Rachel out to be a good person who stole something. But, you know, that's kind of difficult to to wrap my mind around. I think the best explanation for this is it's kind of a, yes, we believe in this invisible God, but these visible gods that we see also kind of make us more comfortable. And so she's kind of taking this. She's had a child by this point, but she really wants a second one. And so it's not just, hey, I'm going to get back at dad or I'm going to leave a breadcrumb that he might come look for us. You know, those are some of the different things that I gather. I think it's more of, yeah, we're in on this God thing, but just in case, which I know none of us have ever done, right? You know, I mean, I trust God with all that I have, but... I'm going to hold on to this one thing just in case things don't work out. Uh, I think that's human nature. And before we look too down on her here, I think that we can all understand this idea and the fact that God even 
honors that sometimes. I don't know if honors is the right word, but he kind of winks at it. Maybe that's the better word. You know, it's sort of like when, you know, the disciples, hey, can we take a sword? Sure, here's two. That'll be enough. You know, that's what makes you comfortable. And then six to eight hundred guys come up over the mountain, and all of a sudden they go, wait a minute. <laughs> this is not enough. You know, we need more. And uh, we see that through Scripture, right? What God is giving. Oh, this makes me comfortable. And then we realize we're in over our head. Can I have more? Uh, and God sometimes winks at that at the very least. And so, uh, you know, this might be connected with a previous issue, a previous trust issue. And I think we all can associate with that. Verse 24, we see God speak yet again. As we talk about Laban, three days later, verse 22, Laban was told that Jacob had fled, so he gathered a group of his relatives and set out in hot pursuit. This is the New Living Translation again, in case you haven't noticed. But hot pursuit, he called up with Jacob seven days later in the hill country of Gilead. But the previous night, God appeared to Laban the Aramean in a dream and told him, I'm warning you, leave Jacob alone. Uh, Which is pretty straightforward, right? Uh, and it's just as once again an echo of what we see in Abraham's life. Right? Abraham, oh, she's my half sister. Abimelech, don't touch her. Right? Isaac, oh, she's this or that. Don't touch her. And and we see this again. We see him showing up, but this time Jacob's not even involved. He doesn't even know that he's coming. And so, what is God doing? Keeping his promise keeping his promise. I think there are a lot of times, in fact, I think there are more times that we don't see God keeping his promise, namely because we're just unobservant and we're not paying attention. But he's keeping his promise. He's keeping his promise. I think that the more we buy into that, I've grown up in a tradition that tells you, hey, every little thing that you do, you're out of luck, buddy. You've got to work yourself back to it. And more and more I read in the Old Testament the wrathful, angry God that we sometimes paint is the same God in the New Testament. Yeah, you're going to mess this up, and I knew that before I got involved in the first place. And your unfaithfulness does not negate my keeping my promises, my faithfulness. And man, does that change our outlook on life. I do not have to get it perfect. Right? Those of you who are OCD out there, relax. Just a little bit. I know it's hard. You know, I... I'm the guy that's, you know, willy-nilly, here we go. If it gets done, it gets done, right? And I drive you crazy. I like the epitome, your, your antithesis or whatever, and I'm sorry for that. And, and I could be a lot more like you in a lot of ways, but that's the beauty is we can work together, right? Work together. I think there's a lot of truth to opposites attract. I think God is the embodiment of that, right? He's perfect and holy and awesome, and He just keeps coming after us. He won't leave us alone sometimes. And so just because we don't see it or observe it does not mean that God is not keeping His promises. In fact, it's proof that He is. That His promises are not sustained by my ability to observe them. That they continue. His mercies are new every morning. Every time that sun comes up, mercies are new. And uh, those mercies were sustained overnight, even though we were sleeping and certainly not paying attention. And so I hope that that gives you a little bit of hope there. We look at verse 29 as we begin to wrap up our time together. Verse 29, he, he says, or the Bible says, 
Uh, I could destroy you, but the God of your fathers, Laban speaking, appeared to me last night and warned me, leave Jacob alone. And as I was stating about uh, all the time we don't observe things a lot, the truth in itself, the Talmud, there's a great quote in the Talmud that says, God's signature is truth. Think about that. God's signature in life is truth, that there are things out there. Paul says that it's his invisible attributes. It's those things, but it's the things we also see. I talked about the sun coming up and going down and the rain that falls on the just and the unjust. Those are all signatures of God that are truth, that you can, in, in a lack of better terms, bank on, that you can trust in, right? that we can get to the point where we don't have to steal our father's idols. We don't have to let our father's issues dictate to us how we live our life. And by I mean father, I mean lowercase f. That we have a capital F father that is always trustworthy, even when we're not. Right? We believe in a way of life that even in the face of our failures, even though we fall on our face over and over and over again, that in itself points to a God who doesn't. The fact that we can look at something and say that is wrong, that is sin, that is unacceptable, even in our own lives, proves that there's a measuring stick out there. And that's why people envy us rather than emulate us. Because it's always been easier, at least mentally, to walk around and say, there is no truth. We think that that's a relatively new thing, but it's not. It's really existed from the very beginning. It's exactly what the serpent used in the garden. God said, and no, it's not that way. Here is what he truthfully said, but what he really meant, what he really said, remember? That whole adage, that lawyer adage, Satan's been doing that since the beginning. He's never had the truth. He's a liar. He's never had the facts. He's the accuser. And so what does Satan do? He pounds the table. He pounds the table. Think about Job. You've never let anything bad happen to me. How outlandish is that? Right? Bad is a relative term. But just because Job, right? Human beings probably did that, right? Probably people looked at Job. Oh, man, look how cherry he's got. He ain't got no issues. I used to do that to my preacher at Jacksonburg. I said it yesterday. I said, Gary Gooch had it going on, man. He wore a nice suit. I just never saw him cut up or have a good time at church. And obviously he had no issues. He's the preacher. Pound the table. We've all got them. And if we put on the facade that we don't, not that he did. He never put that facade on. He never presented himself as perfect. I just assumed. You know, he's up there preaching. He's got to have no problems. He's got no struggles. Pound the table. Pound the table. And Satan convinces us of that. Just straight up lie. He's the accuser. God did not say, what about Job? You, you, if you let me touch him, you physically let me touch him, he'll, he'll quit. He'll throw in the towel. He'll quit. Even though God tells him in Job 1, have you considered Job? Have you considered Job? As I've said, God tells him how it's going to end. God told Jacob how it's going to end. Did you know that God tells you how it's going to end? 
how it's going to end with him on top. He's going to win. So this morning, I'm telling you what he told you. I don't have the words of eternal life. I just get to share them. Jesus does. He's turned to his disciples. He's fed these thousands of people. And Jesus says some things that would turn just about anybody off. Now you've got to drink my blood and eat my body. Wait a minute. What's that all about? And so they begin to leave. You guys going to leave me too? Because I said something that was difficult, said something that was hard, maybe offended you a little bit. You guys going to leave me too? And Peter says to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Just like Gary Gooch didn't have, he did not possess, the authority was not found in him of the eternal uh, the words of eternal life. The same thing with me. I don't possess those things. I'm not the authority on those things. I just am the guy who hopefully mirrors that. But even when I don't, it doesn't change the truth. God's signature is the truth. He knows the truth about you. And instead of convicting, chooses to sacrifice himself every single day, really, in a lot of ways so that you can be made righteous. This morning, why not be made righteous? If you're not a Christian, uh, you've not been put in the blood of Christ that makes you righteous. And we would love nothing more than to figure out how to do that just for you today. Uh, and we're going to sing a song in just a moment. If you have been baptized into Christ, it's as simply as confessing that you don't get it right, which the older and longer I live becomes more more and more easy because it's just more and more obvious every day that <laughs> you just you just mess that up royally uh, and the beauty of that is our experiences then equip us to help others through that if we'll just humble ourselves so where we are today we can all be better and be more like Jesus that's the beauty of it so if there's a way that we can help you we're going to sing this song we'll pass the mic around uh, and you can share that you can also share your celebrations we like those too but if you have a need of any kind, come as we stand and sing.